I'm ready whenever you are, Jared. All righty. Let's do it. Hey, welcome back. Process, preparation, performance. I'm Duke. He's Simmons. And it's like 17 degrees below zero outside JR. It does not feel like baseball season whatsoever, but I got my baseball hat on for the little youth team that my son's involved with. So we're supporting baseball today. Everything baseball, we got coaches from around the state. I don't know how many state titles are on this podcast panel here, but it's a stupid, ridiculous amount. Um, There's literally probably eight inches of snow outside my window right now. It's snowing (laughs) actively. I think if you go outside, you get frostbite. And spring sports are starting in like two weeks. We were supposed to be outside playing baseball, a season that we didn't get a year ago because of COVID. And we're going to dive into some of that. But today, all things baseball. I want to thank everybody for coming. JR, I'm going to let you kind of introduce who we have here today. But before we, before we get there, Jer, how are you riding your bike in this kind of weather? I mean... Everybody knows you're an avid bike rider, like 3,000 miles last year. What are you doing? Well, for everybody that does know, and, you know, for these guys that don't, I've got this virtual bike trainer now that I can hook everything up to. So I'm actually, I rode before I came down the podcast, rode 15 miles somewhere over in England. So I'm up to 480 miles since January 1st, and I'm on a goal to do 3,500-ish this year. I'll get it 100%. So it's, uh, I'm starting to get sick of riding in a room. That, that's for sure. Even though it's really cool, you know, it's, uh, it's getting a little bit depressing. So hopefully six more weeks, maybe I can, maybe I can get outside or, uh, go somewhere to where I can get outside. But yeah, it's been a, it's been an experience for sure. Well, it, it inspired me. I mean, I'm riding my bike. Now. You are. I'm riding my bike and it's been a little bit crazy. I've had to ask some questions about a few things, but I'm riding my bike. I'm using that same app that you talked about. They don't sponsor this, so we're not going to give them any kind of shameless plug whatsoever. They can fend for themselves. They've got enough money. Uh, But thank you for that because I certainly can't get outside and do a lot of things. But Jared, who do we have here today? We've got, and I'll, I'll go on record as saying this, we've got the best of the best here in the state of Missouri. Uh, talk to Brian Ash. And I said, can we get all these guys on the podcast at one time? And he goes, yeah, let's try to do this. And we have some fantastic baseball coaches here in Missouri. And what I'll do here, I'll just introduce everybody. And then, uh, you know, they can talk about themselves a little bit. So I'll just go in the order it is on my screen. Uh, If we went with the best looking, I don't know who I'd – who I'd pick here, but uh, I'm going to start <laughs> Coach Wilson smiling. Laz, you're up, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Got your hair perfect. <laughs> so I'll start with Coach Perkins. Uh, Coach Perkins, go ahead and intro yourself here for everybody. Hey, I'm Tony Perkins. I'm at Francis Howell. Um, I've been a Howell for, oh, man, over 30 years, something like that. So I'm getting old, but still plugging away, still loving it. Coach Tao. Uh, Justin Tao, Rockbridge High School, Columbia, uh, 20-some-odd years uh, that, that I've been at Rockbridge. And same way, uh, we're all, we all still have to work, unlike Tony, but, uh, but you know, coaching baseball is not really work. Coach Wilson? Yeah, Dave Wilson. Uh, I've, I've coached at three different places. I currently coach at Staley High School in Kansas City. Um, I've also coached at Harrisonville High School when I started my career, and then uh, – Spent nine years in Central Missouri at, at Columbia Hickman High School. So, uh, twenty six years. I think I'm going on my twenty sixth year. 
Coach Laz. Yeah, Kyle Lasley, Jefferson City High School. Um, this is my 11th season at Jeff City. Uh, third as the head coach. Uh, I was assistant underneath Brian Ash for uh, eight years, I guess. So, um, yep, about it. Coach Ash. Got to unmute your mic. I'm a rook. Twenty uh, first year. <laughs> I uh, I actually this is where I wish I was still coaching basketball. To be honest with you, that that seventy degree weather right now inside the gym sounds pretty good. But uh, uh, originally started off, I wanted to be a college basketball coach. Uh, did coach three years at Baker University. Um, so I was in Kansas there for three years. Moved back to the area, and I've been in this area for. 17-ish, I guess. So this is my 21st year overall head baseball coach at the high school level. Coach McGee? Yeah, I'm Scott McGee at Willard High School down in Springfield, Missouri. Uh, this is my 14th year here at Willard. I was uh, an assistant at Ozark, uh, which is uh, was probably the dominant program uh, there for, for quite a while in this area. So, And uh, coached with, with Coach Jason Hauser at Kickapoo. Um, who's also, you know, the, uh, Hauser and, and Essek at Ozark are probably the, the two biggest names down here other than, than me. So uh, it's been been good to, to be involved in it and uh, looking forward to learning from all you guys because we've got some great coaches here in the room. And Coach Darby, last but not least. Uh, I'm Dustin Darby. I coach at Lone Jack, uh, just outside of the Kansas City metro area, close to Lee Summit. This is my seventh year at Lone Jack, and this will be my sixth year as the head coach. Like Bill said, thank you all for agreeing to do this and getting on here and just kind of giving a little preview to not only the baseball season this year, which hopefully we get to have it. It looks like all things will, will lead to us being able to do that. But then, you know, also maybe with whoever listens to this, give a, give a little bit of insight into kind of what you guys do. And I'm going to start right off here. Coach Tao, I'm going with you. Uh, I know your bunt game, it like to drove us crazy for several years at Jeff City because that is something that you have always just emphasized and we always had to be aware of it. We had to change some things defensively to make you not do it. And I'm just kind of curious what convinced you and what would you say to some coaches listening to this thing that this is why you have to emphasize it. Well, I like, you know, like a lot of things we do as coaches, you know, we're baseball coaches are some of the best thieves in the world, you know, and Coach Perkins, I know when I was assistant coach watching his teams, uh, you know, their bunt game, same way with Coach McGee. But for us at Rockbridge, you know, you guys know that we play on a massive baseball field and uh, you know, that we probably hit the least amount of home runs as anyone on this screen year in and year out. It's just not something that we're able to do. So, um, you know, so we have to make sure we, you know, are manufacturing, doing whatever we have to do. So my biggest philosophy is pressure offense. And I think pressure offense comes in a lot of different ways, you know, stealing, delay steals, early breaks, first and thirds. Uh, but I think the part that, that most normal casual fans see more than anything else are your sack bunch, your bunt for base hits. And now we've kind of, I'd say over the last four or five years, also morphed into slashes as well. Um, but it's just something, you know, for us to get the offense going and putting pressure on on opposing defenses. And my philosophy was always, you know, if I put a good bunt down, uh, pitcher and catcher or catcher third base, pitcher third base, first thing they have to do is they have to communicate. Uh, so someone has to pick it clean. They've got to get a good exchange. They've got to get do good footwork to get a good throw. Um, the first baseman's got to stretch. He's got to catch it. All of those things. There's so many variables defensively 
that come into play. And all I have to do is put it in a hula hoop area um, on the first and third base line. You know, so quite honestly, the, 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 the hitter's job is the easiest of anyone here. And, and when games are on the line, when bullets are flying 100 mile an hour um, and you're dealing with anywhere from 15 to 18 year old young adults, um, things can go wrong. You know, we've all been on both sides of that. And uh, so I, I, I just I think it's I think it puts a lot of pressure at the right time. Um, for me personally, um, where I first really, well, two things, and I think my philosophy comes, you know, from my love of the 80s Cardinals with Willie McGee and Vince Coleman and all those guys. So I think that's where the foundation started, not knowing. Um, but then uh, Coach McCarter at the University of Missouri, my freshman year, you know, just like we all do, we have a bump for basic group. And it was this time of year, right before we were getting ready to kick off the, the spring season, we're in the indoor and, um, you know, we were going live and it was just a bunt for basic group. So defense knew exactly what we were trying to do. And they still could, you know, they still couldn't get us out more times than we could get on first base. And uh, so it's, you know, if you work on it enough, which we do, um, you know, every day. In fact, we probably bunt as much as we actually take live swings. And I, I tell my guys, the message is, is if you can't bunt, it's going to be really hard for you to play. And uh, unless you're breaking windows out in the parking lot of cars, it's going to be really difficult. You have to be able to do that. And case in point, uh, in 2016, my my uh, left fielder, leadoff batter, quite honestly, he was a very average hitter. His name was Tayton Linstead. Um, and he should. the only reason he was a leadoff batter is because he could run the bases like crazy and he could bunt. He had 21 bunt for base hits that year. And he was actually all state because he could bunt. And uh, and so I just, you know, it, it's been a big part of what we do, but it's also something that we really focus on too. And, and uh, it's, it's, you know, I feel like, you know, we've, we've been very successful with it. That's incredible. That's, I'm just taking notes as we go because I'm the guy in the room that I don't coach baseball, but at the level that you guys do, but I love baseball, played baseball a bunch. And, uh, Unfortunately, I probably am one of those guys that you that you all hate because because I played baseball. I think I may know something about baseball, and in reality, I really don't. Right? I, I just I just enjoy the game a lot. So, Jr. has got a bunch of specific questions for you, but I'm going to kind of go off topic and try and get each of you to respond. And growing up in St. Louis, for me, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, they kind of brought back baseball, right? Based off of the strike and all that kind of stuff. But you got guys like McGuire, Sosa, Clemens, Bonds, not in the Hall of Fame. So for this group of guys, I just kind of want your opinion. We'll go around the room and start with Coach P first and then move over to Justin and whatnot. And do you think they should be allowed in the Hall of Fame? If you want to give your own personal soapbox, it's perfectly fine by me. You could say, Duke, you're stupid. I don't want to ask answer the question. That's fine, too. But – me growing up, I can remember listening or watching every single game that season to see who was going to break that home run record. And I could tell you it just it brought baseball back. So let's start with Coach P. Those guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Should they be there? What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's guys in the Hall of Fame already that were on it, you know, uh, just so quiet throughout the eras and things. But you're right about McGuire and Sosa. That just regenerated everything. I mean, got me even more enthused about baseball. Um, now everybody's more aware. You know, it's, it's it's not legal per se, but I again, I think there's guys that are in the Hall of Fame already that were on that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, I would. Coach Tyler. Yep. I would agree. Um, that you know, even though there were rules against it, there weren't really rules against it. And so, how do you penalize guys um, when they weren't they weren't really doing anything that um, most, as Coach P said, most everything everyone else is doing. And in the end, guys, it's as we all know, it's still really difficult to hit a baseball ninety plus mile an hour that consistently over the fence. And I would even go one step further. Um, I'd put Pete Rose in there as well, uh, just for the fact that um, really it had no impact on his game. But if you want to put him in there and put asterisks, I don't even care about that. Put him in a separate room, doesn't matter. But um, those guys are super special. I, I still think I, I, I would be I, – I think they should be in. Coach Wilson? Well, I would have to agree. And, and the toughest part is I don't know that I would, I would like it, but, but I agree they – should be able to go in and uh probably my biggest concern would be with the records um especially on the home run record with the bonds uh just because he was able to extend his career at a time when hank aaron and those guys uh you know weren't doing that and so for him to put up the numbers he did at the age he was at um you know i think an asterisk deserved there but as far as getting in the Hall of Fame, that was what they did in that era. And, uh, you know, all those players are driven to get better. And it was kind of going around. And I agree with what Justin said. Um, there were rules, but there weren't rules. And so uh, they kind of were – that was just part of that time. Uh, they still were good players, though. And, uh, and I agree with Pete Rose. I hope they finally get him in there. It's about what you do on the field. It's what counts. Very much so. Coach Elias, what do you got? I, I agree with all three of them on the, uh, you know, getting into the Hall of Fame. Uh, the bottom line is you still got to go up there and perform. And uh, it's hard to do at that level anyway. So um, whether or not it was right, uh, it, it wasn't probably right. But you still got to go out there and, and play. And to do what they did and the level they did it at, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty big. Coach Ash? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's, uh, you know, the era that you play in. I mean, you think about the technology right now. Think about the technology these hitters and these players have that they didn't have in the 70s and the 80s. You know, I mean, it. you know, even though it's not illegal in some regards, I mean, we can get in the whole Houston Astros deal if we want, but um, with the communication of pitches. But uh, the technology we have now wasn't available to those guys in the past. So, to me, you know, they played within – not the rules really, but they played with them, what everybody else is pretty much doing. And Barry Bonds never tested positive. I mean, he was never caught. Um, that's one thing I think for his, in his favor. So, um, you know, I, I agree. I think they all need to be in, they all performed. We know how difficult the sport is and, you know, it was the error they, they played in. I think they need to be in. I don't care if they have an asterisk. Um, if you want to put an asterisk by their name, go right ahead. But they, they definitely belong, including Pete Rose. Agree. Coach McGee. Yeah, I would agree with all these guys. I think the other thing that they did is they they really advanced uh, the training in baseball. Uh, if we go back to the 80s and, and early 90s, there was like this belief that baseball players shouldn't lift weights, um, especially pitchers, uh, should never lift. And then you've got Roger Clemens coming out, you know, in his late 30s, just throwing 95 with a nasty splitter. And I think it kind of advanced everyone's ideas that, hey, being strong matters. Being able to recover well matters. And uh, you look at what baseball players are doing nowadays, 
Uh, yeah, they're not using the steroids, but the lessons that they learned from those guys have really improved the game of baseball pretty considerably. So I definitely think they should be in the whole thing. And Coach Darby. Uh, Justin took the words right out of my mouth. Um, you know, does it help the end case where they do go yard or something like that? Yeah, of course, but it still doesn't um, take away the skill set that it takes to, you know, line up a ball and hit it that far, or, um, make those split second decisions. And like I said, he took the words right out of my mouth with Pete Rose being in the Hall of Fame because, you know, nothing that he did affected the outcome of the game either. So, um, you know, just to echo what everybody else said, that they all three, whether it's an asterisk or not, deserve to be in. So that's just my take on the whole situation. If, if I could add one thing that I think almost, almost every single one of those players, had they never taken steroids, I still think would have been Hall of Famers without it. They just fell into an era that, you know, that's what went through baseball. And, uh, but I still think they were Hall of Fame players. There's no question about it. Hall of Fame talent. It kind of reminds me a little bit with all I've got into the cycling over Lance Armstrong. The dude still rode the freaking tours, you know, and everybody else was on the juice. You know, it's just, it just happened to be that time. Coach Duke, you asked the question. What do you think? I think they absolutely should be in. Um, somebody mentioned it. It was not illegal at the time. Right. It was, there wasn't a rule that you could not do it. It's kind of like we found it and said, well, now we want something to talk about. But quick story about Pete Rose. So they came to St. Louis and my grandfather was pretty well connected in St. Louis. And he went to the game uh, early, went to batting practice, fielding practice, everything. Got Pete Rose's entire team to sign a baseball for me. Right. I got one from the Cardinals. I got one one with out Pete Rose's signature from his team, unfortunately, because he tore his lucky pregame pants in warmups. So he would not do anything else. He was pissed off. He said, I'm not signing any baseball. So I have an entire baseball signed with everybody from his team, except for him. I don't think that's enough to keep him out of the hall because he didn't sign my baseball, but you know, it's still not, it doesn't make me feel real good, but 3000 hits, man. I mean, and he was way far past that. 60 something home runs, you know, past when you go past Roger Marist and Marist was getting death threats when he did it because of whose record he was going to break. Right. And then you got McGuire and Sosa hitting jacks like crazy. I mean, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be in the hall of fame. I like, like coach said, you want to put them in a different room, go ahead. But I, I don't think those steroids help helped Roger spot his fastball. I'm not, I'm, I don't think it helped him you know, be as mean as he was. Well, maybe it helped him be mean. I don't know. But uh, it didn't didn't help you swing the bat and hit and center some of those things up. But I go back to McGuire. He hit 49 his rookie year. Would have broke 50, but he left to see his kid be born, right? So he would have broke that record, but to said – so he was already hitting them. Did it help? Yeah, probably helped. But uh, I think they should be in. Yeah. two cents. You know, and speaking of uh... – Coach McGee kind of brought it up with the training and how they changed the training. Coach Wilson, I'm going to go to you here because I heard you speak at our clinic a couple of years ago on evaluation, and I thought it was really, really good, some of the things that you were, were taking into account uh, and kind of were able to teach us uh, 
and we changed some things with it. If you're a young coach, you're listening to this, or even if you're a veteran coach and listen to this, the tryout process is about ready to start here in the next couple of weeks. What do you think are like the top three things that people should kind of focus on during that evaluation process? Well, I, I, number one, I, th- I feel like the tryout process, whether you're at a big school or a small school, is always an important time because even if you're at a small school and you're going to keep every player – it's an evaluation and it's the ability to even tell your players that'll be starters on your team, the areas they need to improve in. So I think there, there's a huge importance to it. Uh, being at a school, the last two schools that, you know, Staley and then Columbia Hickman, you're going to have a lot of players come out, you know, and, and then Staley, we're in a metropolitan area. So there's a lot of kids to play baseball. There's a lot of, uh, opportunities for them to play so we usually range anywhere from 95 to 115 kids that'll come out for baseball so we have to be organized uh to do it but i think the you you talk about the three things i think number one i think it starts it can even start at the beginning of the year in the fall sports period and especially when you start in january your preseason. I think you start looking for sixth tool traits right then. Okay. When you're conditioning, when you're watching them maybe play in a freshman football game or, or a soccer game or a basketball game, you're getting to see them compete. You're getting to watch them during the preseason and how they act and how they respond to things. So I think it starts a little bit there and, and you're really beginning to get feedback from teachers of how they are in the classroom. You're watching them in the hallway. So I think you can start your evaluation there and uh, learning about kids that you know are interested in baseball. When the actual week starts, um, it goes right in. I tell our coaches at the very beginning of the week, Do I don't want to hear about – hey, I really like this kid or he's a good kid. I don't want to hear any of that stuff. In those first two days, I want to only measure skills and the measurables. And I want us to eliminate every every thought we've ever had about the kid. I don't care if he's bad in the classroom or he's he's got a behavior issue. Right now, let's evaluate pure skill. Okay? So, and then uh, as the week goes on, uh, if the weather's good and you can get out and do some controlled scrimmage type stuff and situational stuff, then you start focusing on, the, you know, how they make decisions on the field. And, uh, and then by the end of the week, you know, we're, we're focusing now on those fringe guys. And, uh, and, and then we might start adding in if players are close. Um, we start adding in you know, the character stuff to it. And uh, so anyways, you know, a couple of things, I jotted a couple of notes here. Um, I, I try to remind my coaches to don't look, don't put too much eye time on the players, you know, are going to make the team. Cause we can fall into that trap. We all fall into that trap where we just watch those top players and you, you really need to spend less time watching them during a tryout week and more of the guys in the middle so you make good decisions. Um, another thing I tell them is make sure your evaluation is designed to help a kid. 
That should be important to you that you create an evaluation process that even if a kid does not, the player doesn't make the team, you've given him uh, an opportunity. You've shown him some things that he can work on in the offseason. Because I'll be quite honest with you, I've had some kids come back after not making it as a freshman and come back to be quality players in my program. Okay, they hit a growth spurt or something like that. So I think you, you've got to make sure that you, uh, you give them good feedback so they can improve as a player. And it grows the game, too. We all love baseball. We want the game to grow. Uh, and the last thing, put the effort into the evaluation that you would want a coach to put into your own children. I have three kids. And when I send them, if I were to send them to an evaluation and receive feedback, I would at least want to feel like that that coach cared enough that what he put on that paper, he actually saw, he meant, and he was trying to help the player get better. So that, that's kind of the way I look at tryouts. Anybody got a really good tryout story they could share? Yeah, I can, I can interject some stuff. I, I, I talked about this in, in clinic too. Um, and it got to be a point where everybody kept asking me for the form. So we have a website and I just, I put my evaluation process on my website. Anybody can pull it off of there. You just Google France, how baseball, you can find that. But, you know, Willie says a lot of great things there. Um, but the thing is, when I got to the bigger school, I, I coached at Bashir, a smaller school. I understand small school stuff. But when you get to a bigger school, like we're getting about the same kind of numbers he's getting. you got to evaluate everything and document everything. I mean, we measure everything that we do. I mean, from a 60 to a 40 to, you know, bunting, hitting. And when the radar guns came around, I mean, now you got something that's valid. You know, you got these parents taking their kids are throwing 88, 89, or they're 72. You know, I mean, that's valid information, and it can show you the, exactly where that kid is at. And what I do after every day is I'll rank them, you know, on a spreadsheet and just I'll post it so they can see exactly where they're at. And it does a couple of things. I mean, it lets them know what they need to prove upon, but also uh, they can see that the other guys are better than them in, in either speed or power or exit velos or whatever, you know, you're measuring that particular day, you know, and, and the more information you got, less problems you got with parents. Anybody got an opinion well, on should you radar or not radar somebody right off the bat in tryouts? Well, yeah. Do it. It's out every day. So, Coach Perkins, I'll come right back to you here. You know, the St. Louis area, we, we played a lot of schools down there over the years. All these guys on here, you know, played schools out of St. Louis. It, it seems like it's loaded. You know, it's not uh, just specifically one school ever. It's, it's just a random hodgepodge. And, you know, you've done amazing things there, had a ton of success, been able to – put Francis Howell on the map, keep it on the map, and uh, I'm sure you'll be right back in it again this year. How do you do it? Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. We got, first thing is you got to have good players, you know, but second thing is you got to have good baseball assistants, you know, that understand the game that are helped and you got to rely on them. It is hard. And I'm a guy that schedules all the hardest teams I possibly can. Um, in our conference, if you look around, there's – every team's got at least two or three guys that are 80-80 or above. You know, they're, they're, almost everybody in the conference has got somebody 90 right now. Now, can they throw strikes? 
that's the question, you know, but it is tough, but you, it, you can't take a day off there. Every day has got to be high intensity in practice. That's the biggest part of it. You know, I, I get on in practice and I always say, you know, practice is mine, game's yours kind of a thing. Um, so I try to ex- let them experience everything in practice that they would come up in the game. And if I, that doesn't happen, that's my fault. I'm not doing my job. You know, it's going to get covered the next day in practice if we can get that going. But it, it is so tough around here. Every time you look around, I'm playing somebody that is doggone good. I didn't know about him. I, I learned about him real quick when they stick it up my rear end. You know, so it, it is a tough go. But at the end of the day, it makes us better. You know, I've been to Final Fours with 10, 11 losses, and that doesn't bother me. You know, I, I don't care. It's, you just got to get hot at the right time in districts and get them weathered and get them tough, you know, and then give it a go. Just for, you know, to, to kind of piggyback, Tony's teams are always the toughest nosed kid. You know, they're just hard nosed kids. They play the game so hard. Um, but, and, 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 you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he never, he never wants to be the, the person front and center. He's always putting his, his kids out there first, but, um, but, you know, the one thing I've always respected about Tony is what he said. He'll go play anywhere at any time against anyone. And I don't know how many times, you know, he's played the, the morning after the morning after proms or whatever else, you know. And he just, you know, I mean, that's just what he does. He he tries to give all of his kids that that experience. And, and I think, you know, he's not afraid to lose on those games. And because, in the you know, he knows he's going to be there in the end and it's going to make him tougher for it. Thanks for that, Coach. I'd like to jump in and talk a little bit about Tony real quick because uh, I've only played Francis Howell once, um, I believe it was, but we watched them play in 2013. Uh, they won the state title. They had Calvin Munson. Uh, they, they had they had a, a loaded team, and uh, we kind of got fortunate we lost in the semifinal because we might have had our pitcher die in the state championship if we would have won that game. But uh, as I'm watching them that night, the, the thing that set them apart, uh, Tony had a son that was the starting catcher on that team, and then he had Munson. Uh, those two were the two best players on the field. Uh, they were also the two guys that were at the front of the dugout cheering on their teammates at all possible times. Uh, they were were picking everyone up constantly. Um, you don't see a pitcher and a catcher up at the front of the dugout leading their teammates with just that sort of toughness about them. Um, and and we, we really implemented a lot of things from our program just from me watching their, the way their dugout behaved. Uh, they, they were so bought into the entire team and it wasn't their bench guys. It was their main dudes were leading by example, by being up there. And I think uh, that has, that is, you know, we've everyone on this screen. I think we've picked up from things from each other. Uh, that was my first time I'd ever seen Francis Halpoy. And uh, like it, I just immediately called my assistants after that game and said, we got to start doing more of this stuff. So um, just want to jump on and, and sing his praises a little bit. Thank you for that. It is a culture. I mean, it comes along, I mean, through the years, like you're talking about some marquee players, but they all learn from guys ahead of them too. And I've been there long enough, you know, and, and the alumni guys will come back and you just, you know, they'll be hanging around outside the fence and I'll say, come on out here, man. Let's, let's talk to my guys, you know, let's tell, tell them what it takes. You know, Brett Graves, who's now, you know, in the bigs, you know, he comes back and talks and all those guys come back and, and it is a culture that, uh, an old assistant coach might brought that up about this culture. I didn't know what really a culture was and started explaining it to me. And I go, you're right. It is. It is. We, we've created a winning atmosphere and we expect to win. You know, it doesn't always happen, but uh, we'll work hard enough. So with, with that being said, you guys kind of mentioned it with your evals about how you're recording everything. You're looking past 
who's done what in the past, good, bad, or ugly, indifferent, whatever it may be. And, and Coach Wilson, I, I wrote down some notes here on my desk, you know, basically talking about do they compete? How are they in classroom? What are their character? We'll get to that, but it's let me measure what I can measure first, right? So about 10 years ago, a movie came out that talked about analytics, Moneyball, right? And it said, we're going to start evaluating everything. We're going to now incorporate that to a greater degree all the way down into who hits where in the lineup and against who's throwing. How much has that filtered down into the high school level? How important is it to you? Or is it just that that was a movie, it was theatrics, don't worry about it. We go out there and if our dude's better than yours, then we win. So I'm going to start at the bottom of the screen with Coach Darby here and then work over to Coach McGee. But Coach Darby, what do you think? Um, I think it's really trickled down, even at our, you know, we're class two. Uh, one of my assistants is a math teacher and everything that he does is very analytical. Everything is a process and he's looking into the numbers. And um, a couple of years ago, we had played a team twice. It was in our conference and ended up being in our district. And then we went and scouted him a few times and we knew based on his number crunching, you know, I can't take credit for it, but we knew one through nine, their lineup, how many times they swung at the first pitch, how many times they took the, you know, the one pitch or the one Oh pitch, whatever the case. So we, or I say, we, my assistants, you know, crunches those numbers and we can make a scouting report just based off scouting and, um, you know, seeing those kids before and seeing what they've done in previous games and stuff like that. So, um, you know, for a class two program, you know, I'm lucky to have him and um, we can put together really good scouting reports and stuff like that, just based off of what we've seen. And then we'll post it in the dugout and things like that. So our pitchers can come in and, and review that and see who they've got to do up and see, you know, what they want to start off with or what they're comfortable with. And then it also helps us align kids. You know, if, if it's a seven, eight, nine guy that sprays everything to the right side and, you know, we can shade that way and different things like that. So, you know, Moneyball is, much more in depth than what we're doing, but we've taken what we can and made the most out of that to fit our program and to help us succeed. Awesome. Coach McGee. Yeah. I think uh, one of the things is it's kind of changed the way we all do our lineups. Uh, you know, it, it's no longer a, a problem to have your best power guys hitting first and second. Uh, some of that stuff has made us rethink some things. Uh, you know, when you look at Moneyball and, and their emphasis on things like walks and, and stuff like that, I think some of the emphasis area is, are different in, in high school. Um, you know, I think one of the leading premises they found in, in Moneyball was the RBIs don't matter. Uh, you know, in varsity high school baseball, RBIs definitely matter. Uh, you've got guys that can, against bad pitching, they can stand up there and draw their walks and hit a few bloop singles. But if you're going to play uh, Columbia Rockbridge in a quarterfinal game, you can't have those kind of guys in the lineup. You've got to have guys who can hit the baseball and drive and run. So, um, but I th do think that it has uh, filtered down into our area of baseball for sure. Coach Ash. Sorry. Yeah. And I want to kind of, I want to, I know we all think we have the best assistant coaches and I know everybody on this screen thinks that like, I truly can say that like there's two of them on here, Jr. and Kyle. Jr. was the guy. I mean, we all know his tech, technology and how savvy he is. Um, he did things that I felt like was so far ahead of, our time that it's all kind of coming to the surface now, which looking back, I'm like, wow, we were, we were doing some pretty cool stuff, but a lot of that was dictated on the teams we were playing the rock bridges, the Hickman's, you know, the one year we, we got drummed by Hal in the state championship game and 
you know, we used to play Willard quite a bit early in the year down at their tournament. So um, I do think it's trickled down. And I want to kind of go back to Tony's, uh, the evaluation piece, the, the radar gun, because our coaches, Kyle and JR, we've talked about this quite a bit. When you use the radar gun, our expectation is kids need to be in shape, correct? Coming into like tryouts. But we also know we have kids that don't. Like I did, I, I feel like it was my fault. I potentially lost a kid that could have probably been our number two arm in 2017, a kid named Gunner C. He played bat or he didn't play basketball that year, but he's a football kid and he threw hard. I mean, he was an upper eighties would touch 90, but he didn't do anything. Like he didn't do anything in the off season. And, and I knew that. And although he threw only eight pitches in the bullpen, like it did enough. He never pitched for me. It wasn't significant, thank God. Um, but looking back on some of that stuff, like our responsibility as coaches, I think, is to prevent some of that stuff. So that that's where, you know, I, and I'm not – I think Tony's guys, they're, they're doing everything they can to stay in shape. Like I know I would have some guys that they wouldn't. Uh, they're going to show up on that first day and they're going to try to impress everybody and they're going to try – you know, they see that radar gun. It's almost like, wow, let me try to light this thing up. And the next thing you know – two weeks down the road, coach, my arm sore. So um, I may, I wanted to make sure I touched on that because I, I, that, that was one thing that really stuck with me because we would visit during that season. I'm like, man, I felt like, cause it, before this, I didn't know if Grant Wood was going to be the kind of pitcher that he was going to be in 2017. Thank God he was, but we were really counting on Gunner and, uh, and lo and behold, he, he didn't, he never pitched. So um, I did want to touch on that, but uh, as far as the analytics stuff, the kids know it. They see it um, with all the social media stuff that we have guys. If we're not doing some of that stuff, we're just fooling. Our, we're just fooling. We're fooling ourselves and we're fooling our kids. So um, you've got to be up to snuff a little bit. Um, I have a rap Soto hitting machine. I've got a rap Soto pitching machine. I'm just dangerous enough with it. I'm nowhere where Jr. I mean, Jr. could take that stuff and like he could create something else completely out of it. So um but I think you got to do some of that stuff, but I don't put, I think the one thing that we lose touch of sometimes is that one kid watching him play a game and the things they, they can do that just can't be measured all the time. And I think sometimes we get, we get lost in that sometimes. So it's nice to have, I think we got to use it, but to me personally, it's not, it's not something I just put a whole lot of stock in. Like, as much as I would watching a kid play the game, you I, you can't appreciate some of those kids until you see them actually play the game. They're not going to throw hard. They're not going to be very fast, but their instincts are going to be there when they start playing. So that's just my two cents. Love it. Coach Laz, what do you got? Yeah, so I'm kind of the same boat. Um, you know, we we actually have uh, – JR is the, the technology guru. Um, I'm pretty sure he figured out a way to – hacking the game changer at one point uh, a couple years ago, but we won't talk about that. Um, but moving forward, I mean, the guys like to see numbers. Um, so, you know, we post a lot of numbers. Um, we, we have a rap Soto. Um, I think three years ago when I joined the ABCA uh, is when I kind of started getting more into the analytics and the data Um and since then, I've tried to incorporate that stuff to where it's I'm not overusing it to where the kids and myself even don't understand it. Um, but we're actually gathering information that will help us 
um, help practices, uh, help games. And, um, you know, just, you know, after I actually bought Rap Soda last year, still trying to work, you know, work with that. Um, you know, we've done some pretty cool stuff uh, in the off season with it. And, um, and even towards the beginning part of the uh, tryouts and um, first part of last year before we kind of got canceled with uh, COVID. So, um, but other than that, I mean, it's just, uh, like I said, I, don't, I try not to dig too deep into it. Um, try to keep it as simple as possible for the guys. Awesome. Coach Wilson. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with what, what Kyle just said. I mean, you know, we use some of it, but uh, I think the biggest things uh, really explaining to your kids, like the certain measurables that you get, how they actually apply on the field. And I know that was big, even for my son, who's pitching in college now, just understanding about spin rate, you know, and, and that uh, the reason it's good to have that is to, to give that hitter an, an illusion of the ball rising and just trying to tell them certain things about things that are measured and how it applies on the field. But I try not to dive too much into it. Um, you know, cause, uh, they can get too focused on video and too focused on, on things. Uh, and, and I think it takes away from their play sometimes, but yeah, I do think you have to be up to date, uh, in this day and age. I got one thing to add, you know, I probably have used it more, um, recently, um, for college coaches. Um, they, they've asked more about, you know, I had a coach I was talking to a couple weeks ago about a kid, and he's wanting to know, you know, bad exit speeds, launch angles, and, you know, he's a big technology guy. Um, so I've probably used it and tried to dig a little bit deeper into what I'm trying to, uh, what we're doing, just to give those guys the right information they need to get my players, uh, you know, an opportunity. Makes sense. Coach Tao, what about you? Well, I think um, when we're talking about information, there's two types of buy-ins. Right. So there's the buy in within your kids in the program um, internally, but themselves, or I would say maybe individually. And then there's also buy in for the team when you're playing a game. Um, two examples. So I'm a huge information guy. I want all the information I can get from from my opponents, because um, we feel like if I have enough information, then I can make a game plan. We're big on game plans and um, we need those game plans to be able to execute to give ourselves a chance to win. Um, Two examples. First one in 19 district championship game against Hickman, their three hole hitter, um, uh, his name was Ashton. He was, I mean, it was just almost by the book where he was hitting the baseball. So he came up his first time. My second baseman's almost playing behind second base. The entire four hole is open. There's nobody there. And twice that game, he hit one hoppers right to my second baseman. That would have potentially changed the out, 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 uh, outcome of that game. So you get buy-in that way from your kids because they come off the field going, holy, you know, coach, how did you know that stuff, you know? And, and so now they're, they're, they're buying anything you sell at that point in time uh, when it comes with that. The other piece of that is, and, and you know, we, we also have a rap soto. So what we've found is, you know, these kids go all of these places and they're trying to throw the ball, you know, through the wall as hard as they can, but they're not learning how to pitch sometimes. You know, very few guys that they're going and actually teaching how to pitch. Um, I don't have 90 mile an hour guys anymore, you know, so we have to know how to pitch. So 
we'll have guys start throwing their, their set on the rap Soto and there'll be a, you know, whatever, or whatever, uh, you know, arm speed. And then we, and, and we show them that it's instant feedback, right? Then we start tweaking mechanics and we're finding that we're jumping kids between two and five mile an hour just by correcting mechanics. Again, using that information, quick buy-in. Now, again, they're completely bought in with what you're selling. So I think all of that information is so good. I think there's a lot of different types and, and I agree with all of you guys. I mean, we, we have to be doing that. And I think if you're going to win at a high level, um, you can't have too much information. Now you may not give it all to your kids, but as coaches, we need to know every possible thing we can have. Awesome stuff. Coach P, what do you got? I don't have a rep, so you guys are killing me. You're going to make me go out and I have to go buy one now. I don't know if I get that kind of money, but I've been, I've been around it a lot. I mean, I, I work showcases in, summer, in the summertime. There, I'm around it quite a bit, and, and I, I really agree with all the spin rates and launch angles and stuff like that. But, you know, most of my high school kids, we can start talking about launch angle. I think that's just silly for the most part. I mean, I may have one guy on my team that can, I think can consistently hit home runs, you know, but now, now everyone's a teach a launch angle and hit home runs. You know, I'm going to spend most of my time like Ty working on my button game. Cause that's from to win more games with more button than I am with home runs. Cause that's, you know, I got a big yard too. And it, it, it's tough. I mean, the analytics stuff is, is great. Um, I just got to drum up some money now. You, all you guys got, I got to keep up. I, you know, along those lines too, I, I love the pitching rap Soto because of, um, instant feedback with mechanics. So I, I think pitchers with average velocity can still get outs. Um, but I'm not a big fan of that hitting wise, because as, as Tony said, um, all you're doing is hitting fly balls to outfielders. Right. And, and so I, I think my job as an offensive coach is to have, give my kids all the tools to be successful in the, their high school career. So they are able to go play in the college level. And then once you get to the college level, let those guys change your, your, you know, your launch angles and things like that. But it's our job to get, have them have them enough success to be able to get there in the first place. And I really feel, I mean, I've had some, some great hitters and I've even told them, um, you know, I know when you get on college campus, they're going to change you, but I can't afford, we can't afford to do that because if you don't hit well, um, you know, the team's going to suffer. So, um, you know, again, I, I just think there's, there's, there's so many different pieces that are valuable and some that, you know, they're okay. But where, where are you seeing most of the, the uh, velocity stuff from pitching now? Like what what I'm seeing is it's all the run and gun stuff. That's where I'm seeing the radar gun. Like and I and Justin, I mean, I think you you posted something the other day or commented, and I agree 100. percent It's until until the powers to be change the game and the pitcher's able to run up to the mound and throw a ball. Like why? I mean, I get the sequencing and getting your body to work together with your lower half and upper half. I get all that. But when I see velocity stuff, it's almost, I mean, it's probably 80 to 90%. It's all running gun stuff, mm -hmm. which goes back to the, how much pitching are we teaching? If you can, if you can take the mechanics stuff like Justin's doing, and have that four mile an hour, five mile an hour spike just off mechanics. And now that kid, because to me, our magic number, JR and Kyle and I, we'd always discuss the magic number in high school is 85. That's my opinion. Like, I think 85 miles an hour is the magic number. Mm -hmm. If you can get a kid there that can pitch, you're going to win a lot of games. Um, so taking a kid from 79 to 85, I think is a lot easier. I think it's probably a little bit more attainable than a kid that's 
you know, 85 and trying to get them up to like, in the you know, the, the mid nineties. I mean, there's, I know Scott's had those guys, I know Tony's had them. I know Justin's had them, Dave, everybody here has had them. Kyle's got one. Um, but I, I think that I, I just, I get really concerned with all that velocity stuff when you just see, and it's not really rap Soto. It's, it's just the radar gun. It's just the running gun stuff. And I just, I'm just kind of like, again, it just, it bothers me at times. I just kind of move on and like, whatever, you know, I, we, that's one thing I, I've never done. We do the weighted ball stuff. We, I feel like for our guys, it's, it seems like it's worked. It's more of an arm care injury prevention. We do that stuff with the weighted ball, but I've never ever have taken a ball and, and we ran and, and thrown into a net. But I just, to me, I just, I don't want to put my kid in a situation where they just blow their arm up. To me, that just seems like it would be, detrimental but kids do it and i know people want to see it so that's i was my take on it i was fortunate um here in kansas city they've done this uh deal on saturdays down at the royals academy it's like uh coffee with coaches and so they'll bring you know people in where you can go down and listen to them and i was even listening to uh uh one of the royals kansas city royals hitting coaches and he was, he was talking about, you know, every kid's got a throw coach and every kid's got a, a hitting coach. And, and, you know, it comes down to you have to be careful with how much you do of it because kids are starting to think that if I just improve these numbers, I'm automatically going to know how to play the game. Like that's where my success is going to come from. And it was, it was refreshing to hear him talk about um, – you guys are the ones teaching them how to pitch. You're actually at their games, and you're teaching them how to hit. You're teaching them how to pitch. And uh, he he actually said he understands how, how tough it's getting because they're getting so locked into these numbers, these launch angle numbers and, and all the things they, they can get from the technology that they're kind of thinking, if I just get better at this, raise this number, I'm going to get good. And, and we've all seen it with our pitchers. Some of them don't throw strikes and they don't know how to pitch. And uh, they may look great on that Twitter feed, but they got to learn to do it in the game. They got to be able to perform. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think you do have to have some of it. You've got to stay in the current times to get the kid to listen to you, to buy in. But man, you know, Fortunate here, the, the guys on this screen right here are guys that teach the game well. And uh, so their players are fortunate. I'd be curious, you know, with all of you guys here, um, and, and it, it, it's kind of a little bit of a tangent, but Tony mentioned some of it a minute ago talking about culture. How many of you guys, and, and but I think this all kind of plays in because um, as high school coaches, our hardest job seems that over, over time, over the last five years is um, – getting all of our kids to buy into high school as opposed to what they're doing in the summertime. Right. And, you know, and, and there's nothing in the paper on the summertime, but you know, they, and, and I think Dave said it years ago and it's something that's always stuck with me. There's only two people to get losses in the springtime, the starting pitcher and the head coach and the head coach gets every single one of them. And so I'd be curious to know how many of you guys are having issues right now um, that when we lost that season last year, um, you lost your culture because I'm coming into a season where I don't have one kid who's ever played varsity baseball. 
um, because I had such a big senior class where I would have had last year. And um, so now my seniors have never been through a, a varsity spring of any sort, practice, playing, really not even JV piece of that. And so I'm finding that I'm having to completely rework and start all over my culture because they just don't know it. So I'm kind of curious if any of you guys are seeing some of the same things. Well, well I, I can talk to that a little bit. Um, I coach in summertime with prospects too. And we talk about culture. It is very, very different. I mean, the club teams, it's all about themselves and they're all trying to market themselves. It's just a me, me attitude. The high school scene, that's the, especially with the seniors, like you were talking about here earlier, but the seniors, that's their last go around together. You know, they're, everybody's going to go this way, that way. Some kids will play, some kids won't play. And you got to impress upon them. This is your last chance, man. Let's get after it. Let's make something to remember and do that. Uh, the, the summer stuff, I mean, it, it is. It's just a me, me thing. You know, I mean, I know that our pitchers come in. They come in, throw. We might be there, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, something like that. They'll come in, pit, throw their game on Thursday. Won't see them again. You know, there's no team concept there, you know. Uh, and it happens every day. They just roll in for one day and, and they're gone. You know, that's just the way it works these days, you know. And then they're getting those numbers, the stats and that kind of stuff. Stuff, you know, off of the rap Soto and everything else. You go to Atlanta, MPs is up there every every pitch, you know, every kid's looking over his shoulder, checking out his numbers, and you're just trying to pop a number down there. It's it, 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 I don't know. I'm not really caught up in this number thing as much, but it is it is valid. It is important. I feel like our culture's taken a little bit of hit, and I've talked to I've talked to Justin and, and Brian about it. Um, just from the standpoint of, you know, you you built all that up last preseason and then the plug was pulled on the whole season. And so you basically lost your kids for several months. Okay. And um, so coming back this year, it's, it has been tougher. And I have a, I have a lot of seniors this year. And, uh, but it's also harder because of the hybrid schedule that we're going through. You know, they're not spending every day in the school together. And just uh, being able to talk ball and be around their teammates. And so, yeah, it, it's probably been harder on me uh, more than anything, uh, just just trying to reel it back in. And because that's so much of why I love to coach is to be around them all the time and to build that team. You know, that's why I wanted to do it. And so it has been tougher. Uh, we're seeing some small steps forward. Um, but yeah, you know, the kids are in, in our program and I'm sure Tony deals with this in metropolitan area, they're so spread out uh, in the summertime. They don't play together. And so uh, when you lose a whole season and they all play on different teams, you know, it's taking a hit a little bit, I have to be honest. I think for us, um, you know, we haven't lost that much of a culture. That's one good thing about being a small school is – Last year we had one senior, and so we're returning, you know, seven starters, I think, this year. But I think the thing that has really made our culture take a hit this year was, um, you know, like Dave said, was, you know, not being in school. But for us, being a part of Jackson County in Kansas City, um, we can't have any open gyms. We can't have any off-season stuff. So, you know, trying to get your pitchers ready, you know, healthy and in shape and everything, like, 
that's kind of the biggest detriment to us and the biggest question mark to us is because, you know, most of our kids are dual sport kids, which most of your kids are too. But at the same time, we can't even bring them in to get them any type of work in just because we have no, no access to any school buildings to, you know, bring them in and get them help. So that's one thing that's kind of, you know, put our culture down a little bit because they're not spending time with each other. And, you know, we don't have an opportunity to bring them all together beforehand. I'm kind of in the same boat, Coach Darby. Um, I got 13 seniors and uh, it's a really, really tight group. And our culture has, it restarted back in, um, you know, kind of the summertime when our strength and conditioning coach got him back in the weight room. And he does just amazing job with those guys. And they've, they've been just biting and just, just ready to get back after it. Um, and they've, you know, they've, they stuck together. They played with each other this summer. Uh, we played, uh, you know, in the summer league and, um, but our guys are just, uh, the culture right now for us has been pretty good. Just, um, you know, moving forward. So, yeah.